Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala asyrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah. Uh, we we've reached the next lesson of the tafsir of the short surahs of the Quran kuz and last week we we discussed surah az-zalzalah and tonight insha'Allah we move on to the next surah in the Quran which is surah al-'adiyat surah al-'adiyat so Allah azza wa jal as we will see he starts off the surah with a few qasams with a few oaths whereby he swears by a few things and when Allah azza wa jal does this he swears by a number of things which then leads up to the subject by which he uh, wants to bring our attention to. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will swear by these things, gaining our attention as we go. And as we go through these things, we will see how he pulls this up. And then he comes with a an important message, an important eye-opener, uh, a, a wake-up call for us as insan, subhanahu, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and this is obviously out of Allah's hikmah and the way that he has structured the surah and planned this. So when we recite the surah with understanding, we will see as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he swears by, you know, the galloping, the panting horses and this builds up the scene. He then comes and he gives us a wake up call. So this wow here in the beginning of the surah in وَالْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبْحَا وَالْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبْحَا This is a wow of Al-Qasam. طيب. So the first thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by is al-adiyat. He swears by al-adiyat. What is al-adiyat? Some of the scholars, they mentioned that this refers to horses. This refers to horses, especially those horses that are used in war or in battles. Like those that are used in, in jihad. Okay, like those who are used in jihad. Those steeds of war. Those who go out with their riders and they go out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or in any battle. Okay. Um, whilst other scholars said that this refers to, to camels. Like the camels that are used specifically in Hajj by the Hujjaj. Okay. So the camels that travel from Muzdalifa to Mina and to Arafah and from Arafah to Muzdalifa and so forth. Some of the scholars said it refers to these camels. Right. Although majority of the ulama said it refers to, to horses. And we will see by looking at the full context of the surah why this seems to be the stronger, the stronger view. Although many of the, as we said, of the salaf, of the classical imams and the sahaba were of the view that this can also potentially refer to, to camels. So the word al-adi, right? Al-adi is the plural of al-adi. Al-adi means something which moves swiftly or quickly or, or there's something that's rushing. This is al-adi, right? So al-adiyat is that, are those animals, right, which are moving swiftly. They are galloping, they are uh, uh, racing, right? So al-adiyat here is the plural, and as we said, the scholars have explained this refers to the, to the horses, right? Those horses are used in jihad when they are moving and really running as fast as they can, galloping, right? Uh, those, 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 as if they are racing, this is the adiyat, dabaha, by those galloping and panting horses. Dabaha refers to the sound that comes from within. 
the sound that comes from within from the chest of the animal when it rushes and it gallops and it speeds right and this is a sign that it is exerting itself Dabha. so Allah swears by these horses as they are panting or by these camels as they are breathing really harshly really hard you know the sound that comes from their chest as they are, are, are galloping or as they are moving with out of exertion out of difficulty because of either the load that it's carrying or because it is pushing you know pushing hard to move as fast as possible this is Dabha, right and again certain scholars said Dabha is is mostly found within horses right the, the, that panting that that type of um, breathing that they that comes from the horse whereas others say this is also found within camels although it is more it refers to it refers more to horses and allah knows best imam ibn kathir he said allah swears by the horses when they are made to gallop into battle in his path in jihad and thus they run and pant which is the sound that is heard from the horse when it runs right and this is as we explained walhamdulillah um, and of course this is an honor for these horses you know when allah swears by these horses these noble horses that are used in jihad that are used in his path this is also to show the honor and the virtue of these horses walhamdulillah allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then moves on and he says falmuriyati qadha falmuriyati qadha they strike sparks of fire with their hoofs they strike sparks of fire with their hoofs right um, and again, this is the second qasam. So Allah starts off by the horses that are panting and they are galloping fast. And now he mentions that they strike sparks of fire with the hoofs. Meaning, as the hoofs strike the earth, as they are galloping faster and faster, and as they, their hooves, which are of course very hard on the, on the horse, as they hit the earth, right? And with that power and speed that they carry and, and that they are moving with, when it strikes the, the earth and the stones on the ground, which also strikes other stones, what happens is sparks starts to fly, right? The same, some ulama again said this happens for camels as well, because as the camel hits the ground, stones are lifted. And when that stone hits the other stones, sparks starts to fly, as which is something natural. If you take two stones and you hit it hard enough, or you know, with enough, with enough uh, or fast enough, you will see that sparks start to fly. Right? You see this in people who do camping. They take certain stones and they knock it together until it, it, it makes a spark. And that's how they get their, their flame. You know, Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he said, the striking of their hooves on the rocks, which causes sparks to fly from them. So giving us a description of these horses, how fast they must be moving, um, how swiftly they must be going. You know, these are the steeds of war, as we said. Then Allah Azza wa Jal says, فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha." This is the third qasam. فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha, Launching raids at dawn. The time that they attack, that these horses are attacking, is at dawn. Okay? Again, other scholars said, this applies to the camels. Okay? This is according to the second opinion. The camels, when they move from Muzdalifah to Mina, because in the morning, when they move uh, in Muzdalifah, they spend the night, right? The Hujjaj. And then they wake up in the morning and they move to Mina in the morning. Right after Fajr, they're supposed to leave. This is the Sunnah on Hajj. So some of the scholars says this refers to that moving in Subh. Subh, as you can see in the Quran, it mentions the word Subh. Subh is the time of Fajr or just after Fajr. So this applies to the camels when they move to Muzdalifa. Right? But Mughirat, Mughirat means to attack. Right? 
Agara yughiru in Arabic means to launch an attack. So this is why we said, if we look at the full context, it seems to be that this applies more to the horses, more to those horses used in jihad than the camels that are used on, on hajj. But we mention this opinion because it is found from many of the, the classical scholars. May Allah have mercy on them. So Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, he explains this ayah and he says, it means the raid that is carried out in the early morning time, in the waqt al-subh. And this is just as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa used to perform raids in the early morning. He would wait to see if he heard the adhan from the people. If he heard it, he would leave them alone. And if he did not hear it, he would attack. Right? So, coming and attacking people in the morning was also from the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa as Imam ibn Kathir rahimahullah mentions. And this is what is implied by this ayah. Those horses that are galloping and panting, that are striking uh, uh, sparks of fire, or sparks are, are, are being struck from their hooves. They launch raids at dawn. They attack at dawn. Uh, Imam Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, he says, this is the best time to attack the enemy. That early hour of the morning, right? When it's, it's just becoming light. After subh, when, when salat al-subh is done, you know, it's still just becoming light. Um, and he says, because the enemy is usually asleep or heedless and unaware at this time. This is not the time of duha. This is not after, sun has, after the sun has risen or, or long after the sun has risen and it's extremely and everybody's awakened. Rather, he says, this is a time when either they are still sleeping or they are still heedless or unaware. They're not expecting it. And he then said, even if they are and they become aware, Many of them would still be tired and be lazy and would still be lethargic that time of the morning. Allahu A'lam. Um, other scholars said again something different. They said, this shows the, the fearless nature of these horses, of these people, or of these horses that, 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 that are so brave that they go out and they attack in the morning, in the open. Not during the night, not during the dark, in the open, which shows their bravery. This is a different uh, uh, view of, of this. Of this ayah. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu he said, whenever the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa went out with us to fight in jihad in the sake of, for the sake of Allah against any nation, he never allowed us to attack until morning. And he would wait and see if he heard the adhan, he would postpone the attack. And if he did not hear the adhan, he would attack them. Out of respect, which acknowledges them to be making perhaps they're praying. So he would leave them in that time of prayer and wait and then attack later on. And if there was no call to prayer, it means they're not praying. So then, of course, he would then go and attack them. Anas then says, we reached Khaybar at night and in the morning we did not hear the adhan for prayer. So the Prophet ﷺ rode and I rode behind Abu Talha and my foot was touching that of the Prophet ﷺ. The inhabitants of Khaybar came out with their baskets and spades and when they saw the Prophet ﷺ, they shouted Muhammad by Allah Muhammad and his army. And this shows like Ibn Uthaymin said, you'll catch them unaware. They're not expecting it that early in the morning. When Allah's Messenger ﷺ saw them, he said Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Khaybar is ruined. And then Anna said, when we, whenever we approached a hostile nation to fight, then evil will be in the morning of those who have been warned. This was the way of, of, of the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba. So they would, be, they would be warned. Remember, they didn't just attack people 
warning was sent, a message was sent, a message was sent, and these people were stubborn. They refused to listen. They were arrogant and, for, and various other reasons. So those who were, were warned, remember they were warned firstly, and they refused to listen, evil will be the morning for them. Yani that's the time when they get attacked by the best of believers, radiallahu anhum ajma'een. So they, 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 these horses, Allah describes them as those who launch attacks and raids when? During the morning. And then Allah says, فَأَثَرْنَ بِهِ نَقْعَا فَأَثَرْنَ بِهِ نَقْعَا Stirring up clouds of dust. Stirring up clouds of dust. Ibn Kathir, he says, dust at the place of the battle with the horses. Okay, Ibn Uthaymin says, dust which gets scattered due to the galloping speed of the horses. Now again, picture this, these steeds of war, these galloping horses panting with, with, with great speed and power. And sparks are flying from the, you know, from where the hooves are hitting the ground. And the stones that are flying around from them. And they are coming with no fear through in the early hours of the morning. They attack, they launch their raids of attack. And what is also happening? They are stirring up clouds of dust. So as they are galloping, what happens naturally? Dust comes from the ground. The dust gets scattered, right? And it comes up. And this is how they are coming. You can picture them coming with the dust that's starting to scatter, with some sparks flying on the ground, fast and galloping and panting horses, you know, loud. And, and, and this is how they, they launch the attack, right? Ibn Kathir said, dust at the place of battle, meaning the place that they come to as they are meeting the army, that, that dust that they come with, that, they, that, that, that brings them with them. This is how, how this is what the ayah refers to. The next ayah Allah says, فَوَسَطُنَ بِهِ جَمْعًا Penetrating into the heart of enemy lines. Into the heart of enemy lines. Right through into the middle. Right? So Allah uses the word فَوَسَطُ Yeah, which is فَوَسَطُنَ Which is a, a plural. Right? Which means um, all of them. Every single, not just one or two of them, they come together, jam'an. They come in a group and they penetrate all of them into enemy lines. They breach, they go right through, right? And some say this is because of the clouds of dust that they, that they come with. You know, it's as if it clouds them, as if it confuses the enemy and this allows them to, to penetrate. Because the ayah says, bihi. So some of them said this bihi, which refers to it, yani because of it, right? Or due to it, meaning due to the... The, the clouds of dust that were scattered so, you know, all over. This is how they penetrated through the, the, the ranks and the, the, the enemy lines. And then the scholars stated that this was the goal of these ariyat, of these horses that were panting and galloping, right? It was to plunge into the ranks of the enemies without stopping until they reached this goal. This was, what, this was the whole intent, to get through and to break through enemy lines. As we said, fearless, brave, nothing holding them back, nothing preventing them, right? Imam Ashinkiti, Muhammad Al-Amin Ashinkiti, rahimahullah, he said, this, these ayat are an encouragement towards the greatest of deeds that inherits the eternal life and never-ending happiness in a similar form, which is to attack the enemy in ranks fi sabilillah, jihad fi sabilillah. These ayat are a hath, an encouragement. It's supposed to, you know, incite the believer to, 
to, to hope for this bi-idnillah that he can also be part of this great act of worship, right? Obviously a legitimate jihad, not just picking up weapons and going out and, and saying Bismillah and Allahu Akbar and killing people. Uh, this is not jihad, right? That's fawda. That's chaos the ulama have stated. So jihad has its conditions, Right? That's legitimate, that makes it legitimate. And then there are Ill- there's an illegitimate type of jihad, which is just chaos, where people take the law into their own hands. And this is not Islam. Right? This is not what the Sunnah teaches us. Rather, jihad is a, is a systematic way of, of approach. And there are conditions that the Sharia lays down before uh, jihad is legitimate. Just like every other act of worship has conditions. Right? It has its laws and rulings that we need to study. And then we can know when is jihad permissible, when is jihad not permissible. Right? For example, there's supposed to be a ruler. right? So we cannot just come together as a group and say, right, this is jihad and we're going to take the law into our own, our own hands and kill people and say, this is fi sabilillah. Right? This is not jihad. This has to be made very clear because as we know, this has become an issue in the ummah today where people are doing this. People are shedding blood, are, are blowing up innocent people, um, you know, as part of the so-called jihad, Wallahul Musta'an. So a lot of this has to be put into context and we have to understand the matter of jihad before we speak about and before we decide, uh, uh, you know, to do jihad, Wallahu A'lam. Uh, as we go back to the principle which is Al-ilmu qabla al-qawli wal-amal. That knowledge comes before speech and action. True knowledge comes before speak. So before we act, before we talk, before we delve into a matter, First, study the issue properly. First, know the issue. Study it at the hands of the great ulama and understand the issue properly. Then we can talk about jihad. Then we can decide, you know, what is legitimate. When can we do legitimate jihad and so forth. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. However, without a doubt, jihad is something established in the Sharia. Jihad is a part of the Sharia and it has a great part to play in spreading the deen of Allah. And in establishing Islam throughout the lands, as Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa did, and many of the great Sahaba did. And these ayat are an encouragement towards jihad. If you picture the scene and understand how this happens, this is one of the ways that jihad, or the way that jihad took place, especially back uh, in the time of the Prophet sallallahu And this is to assist and grant victory to the deen of Allah. Without a doubt, this is how Allah's... Uh, it makes kalimatullah al-uliya, as the Quran says. It makes the word of Allah the highest. This is the intent, um, you know, one of the main intents of jihad and Allah knows best. Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah, he says, Allah swears by these horses who achieved their goal, which was to penetrate the enemy lines without fear, weakness or fatigue. Right? This was the goal. Allah swears by them, yani honoring them to show that they also have a great status and a great virtue. Right? And they are used to fulfill this great goal, which is to penetrate the enemy's ranks in the path of Allah Azza wa Jal. As for the subject matter which Allah swears about, which this whole scene was now built up, the panting, galloping horses, the sparks flying from their hooves, the dust that they come with, and um, penetrating into the enemy lines, all of these details that we mentioned is building up the scene. It becomes more and more intense. And then Allah does Allah Azza wa Jal say, Inna al-insana li rabbihi lakanood. Inna al-insana li rabbihi lakanood. Surely mankind is ungrateful to their Lord. Surely mankind is ungrateful to their Lord. The word kanood means kafur, 
according to the majority of the ulama. Kanud means kafur. Kafur, yani from kafara, which means to, to reject or to be ungrateful. Or to be ungrateful. Right? Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he explains and he says, this is the subject what is being sworn about. And it means that he, meaning man, is ungrateful for the favors of his Lord and he rejects them. This is what this ayah means. That insan is an ungrateful being. And they are ungrateful towards the favors of their Lord and they reject the favors. This is the reality of insan. Majority of insan. Ibn Abbas and Mujahid and others said, Al-Kanud means ungrateful. Kafur. Right? Al-Hasan said, Al-Kanud is the one who counts the calamities that befall him and he forgets Allah's favors. Right? That's another interpretation. Al-Kanud is who? Is the person who only counts the bad. You know, all the calamities, this happened to me and then I got into an accident, then I became sick, then I lost some money, then this went against me and then this happened to a friend or family member of mine and he only counts the calamities and all the bad things that, that he feels has come to him and come his way. But all of the good he forgets. All of the bounties and the favors that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon him from way before he was born. From the day he was, you know, in his mother's womb. Allah has been blessing him with favors and favors and favors and providing for him and taking care of him and nurturing him. Up until he grows up until whatever age, Allah is blessing him constantly. There's not a moment that this person or any person is not in need of Allah Azza wa Jal. Yet he forgets all of these favors. And as Allah says, وَإِن تَعُدُّ نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْصُوهَا That if you tried to count and enumerate the favors of Allah, you would not be able to do that. It's impossible. Subhanallah. So the kanud, that ungrateful person is who? Is the one who is always, you know, he always thinks the worst. He always just counts his calamities and, and the bad that happens to him and he forgets all of the favors of Allah, all of the good things. And this should not be the way the believer the believer should, you know, um, he should focus on the favors of Allah and remember these favors and be grateful as opposed to being the kanood. Wallahu al-musta'an. Right? So, at this point, the listener of the surah, what's his focus? His focus was on these horses. He's impressed by these horses, their bravery, their fearlessness, their loyalty. So you picture these horses galloping at the, you know, with this, the height of the, uh, the speed that they're galloping at. They are panting, they are flying, right? They are fearless. They are coming with these clouds of dust. They are coming with sparks flying. And they penetrate in enemy lines, go right through. They go straight through all of them together. Not just one or two, all of them, they go straight through the enemy. You picture the enemy coming out and standing there, and these horses go straight through, you know? And this is at the time of Fal-Mughirati Subha, for example. In the early hours of the morning, here they come, you know? And the, at this point, the listener of the surah, the reciter of the surah, is amazed by these horses. You picture the scene, you picture these, these, these powerful steeds of war. And you acknowledge their bravery, that fearlessness of theirs, of theirs without holding back, and their loyalty. To who? Their loyalty to their masters. You know, those masters of them, of theirs who are riding them. Of course, these are not just the horses, they are riders, they are mujahideen on top of them. These horses are being instructed by them. 
and they are loyal to them. Without a shadow of doubt, they are ready. The horses are ready to, to plunge themselves into themselves into danger, into the battle, into the heart of the enemy. So this person is perhaps picturing himself on these seas of war. Perhaps the lesson is picturing himself as the mujahid on top of the on top of these horses, galloping ready, you know, with full bravery and fearlessness. And this is how Allah builds up the scene. And then Allah Azawajal sends him a wake-up call and says, Allah then wakes him up and the reader and the listener realizes his status where is his how far is he from that loyalty of those horses how far is he from that gratefulness or that level that he's supposed to be at towards his master we see the loyalty of the horses to his master to their masters where are we as insan to the loyalty of our master, our Rabb, Allah Azza wa Jal. Subhanallah. So are we grateful or are we ungrateful? Are we ready to give ourselves up? Are we ready to sacrifice this dunya? Are we ready to sacrifice our nafs, our inclinations of our nafs, which is inclined to haram for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal, which is also a type of jihad. It's a minor jihad. You get the minor jihad, you get the major jihad. The minor jihad starts... With all of us, we start by sacrificing and, and our own nafs, the, the muharramat out of our lives. And then comes the major jihad. And the reality is that a person who can't fight the minor battle is not going to be able to fight the major battle. A person who can't give up small issues, small haram things, distractions, small bad habits, how is he going to give up you know, his life on the battlefield? For the sake of Allah. So sometimes we become distracted as, as people, at times irrational, at times emotional, and we all talk, you know, you get, you get certain people that are just talking jihad, 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 but the minor jihad is being lost on a daily battle against the shaitan, against their own shaitan. You know, to get to the major jihad, we need to start with the minor jihad. We need to start with our, with our own, with our nafs. And then we will, as we get stronger, that is when we'll be ready, bi'idhnillah, we are the honorable mujahideen. May Allah make us of them. Ameen. So this is a wake-up call. That this ayah comes in this context. Allah built up the scene. And then he says, Inna insana li rabbihi Insan is ungrateful to his Lord. This is the reality. Um, and this is the nature of most of insan. Most of insan, most of mankind or humankind, their nature is that they are always wanting more. They are not happy with what they have. They have no qana'ah, no contentment. Instead of looking at the bounties that they have, at the favors of Allah that, 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 that Allah has given them, what do they do? They look at what they don't have. So they don't count their own favors. They don't look at their, their bounties. Allah has bestowed. Instead, they are looking at, but I don't have this, and I want this, and I would have desired this, and I would like, and I need this. Allah musta'an. This is the nature of insan. This is the reality. Um, we as... This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. Most people are ungrateful. They don't, they, don't, uh, they don't have that contentment in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has given us the remedy to this. He's given us the remedy to getting over our dunya we wants, our worldly desires. So he says in a hadith, look at those below you. And do not look at those above you. For it is the best way not to belittle the favors of Allah. And this is the key to happiness. 
This is the key to contentment. This is the key to overcoming ingratitude. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, look at those below you. And this, by the way, this hadith applies to, as I said, worldly matters, not religious issues. Okay, A religious issues, be, the, the coin will be flipped. The coin will be flipped. Worldly matters. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says again, look at those below you and not at those above you. Meaning what? If you are a poor person, don't look at the rich. Because you are only going to long for what they have. You are only going to long for more. Look at one who is poorer than you. Who is less fortunate than you. Who has less than you. If you have a, a car that's not um, very new. That's not very uh, stable. That's not very reliable. Look at those who don't even have a car. If you have a house that's not very big. Look at those who have no roof over their heads. If you don't have the best of clothing. The most fancy of clothing. Look at those who have barely enough to, you know, who have no clothing, no cupboards, no, they only have one garment that they walk around with every single day. Wallahu musta'an. So like this, if you, if it's the food that you eat, if it's the, you know, look at those who have no food. And look at, and there's so much, there's always someone who has less than you. This is the reality. So never ever look at those above you. When you look at those above you, what does the hadith say? It is the best way not to belittle the favors of Allah. Meaning, if you look at those above you, you are going to belittle the favors of Allah upon you. That's what's going to happen. If you don't follow the prophetic advice, then you are going to end up belittling the favors of Allah upon you. So when you look at those who have more, you are going to think what Allah has given you is not enough. And Allah has been unfair to me. And Allah has given them more than me. And Allah is favoring them over me. And this is not right. And, this is, and then the shaitan will come. And he will come. And he will come. And he will whisper. And he will lead you further astray. Because you've opened up this door now. This waswasa. You know this whispers of, of shaitan. We've you, given him the opportunity. This hadith will solve so many problems. For so many people. And this is the key to contentment. This is the, and that's what we want. We want contentment. It's not about desiring more. It's, not a, it's about being content with what Allah has given you. Remember, wherever we are in the world today is only by the decree of Allah. And so we should be at ease with the decree of Allah. Be pleased with where Allah, wherever Allah has placed you, with whatever He has given you, try to be pleased with that. Because that's a true believer. That as the famous hadith says, amazing is the affair of the believer. If anything good happens to him, he's thankful, so it's good to him. If anything bad happens to him, any calamity befalls him, he is patient and he perseveres, so it's a good thing for him. This only applies to the believer. In another hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, Ajib to mu'min. He says, I'm amazed by the believer. I'm amazed by the, by the believer. Why? Because all of his affairs are good. Because whatever Allah decrees for him is something good. Allah never decrees something except that it's good for the believer. Subhanallah. So we need to keep this in mind. At all times and remind ourselves and look at this hadith. This is the key to contentment and the key to our happiness. And not to look at what others have and to make your eyes big like they say and to always want and want and want more. Look at what you have, count your blessings, right? And be pleased with that and, and by Allah you will find happiness and you will find peace and you will find tranquility and contentment. Um, Allah make it easy for us, Amin. A special reminder for the sisters, right? A special reminder for the sisters. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, I looked into paradise 
and I saw that the majority of its people were the poor. And I looked into hellfire, and I saw that the majority of its people are women. That majority of its people are women, as we can see from a Sahih Hadith. Why is this? Is this injustice? A'udhu Billah. Right? Why is this? The, the, the answer comes in another hadith. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, I was shown hell and I have seen anything and I've never seen anything more terrifying than it. And I saw that the majority of its people are women. So they said, why, O Messenger of Allah? And he said, because of their ingratitude. Kufr. Now, kufr yet does not mean disbelief. Right? Kufr here means ingratitude. Not being thankful. Ungrateful, as we spoke about, as we were speaking about in this ayah. So it was said, are they ungrateful to Allah? And then the Prophet said, they are ungrateful to their companions, yani their husbands, and ungrateful for good treatment. If you are kind to one of them for a lifetime, and then she sees one undesirable thing in you, she will say, I have never had anything good from you, or I have never seen or received anything good from you. Hadith in Bukhari. So, Again, this is a very important message for the sisters that don't be like this. Don't be like these women that, that the Prophet Sallallahu describes as being inmates of the hellfire. So what he's saying is they are ungrateful, meaning to their husband specifically. The hadith is mentioning this, right? We are not making this up because we are men. The hadith is mentioning this. So as, as believers, we have to hear and obey, right? And we have to avoid this type of these people, right? And these, these characteristics. So it's a lesson for all of us. Um, so what happens is, many times, husbands, they do their bit, they do their, their part, they fulfill their, their obligations, but you find certain women are not uh, satisfied with this. And so they want more, and they ask for more, and they ask for this, and they ask for that, right? And until it gets to a point where, after good treatment, after being kind to them, for a long period of time, perhaps a lifetime, she sees one bad trait in you, and what does she say? You've never been good to me. I never received anything good from you. And this is the height of ingratitude, right? Now, just on a side note, this doesn't mean that all marriages are like this. There are many, many marriages out there where the men are not pulling their weight, where the men are not doing what they are supposed to be doing, right? So when the women stand up for their rights, that is something different. When the women stand up for their rights that's being trampled upon, that's being abused, that is something different. That is not this hadith. That's not what we are talking about. We are talking about a case or cases where the men are not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But they are fulfilling their rights. They are doing their best. They are treating them well with, with good akhlaq, with respect, without abuse, whether it's physical or emotional, none of those things. Right? They are treating them to the... But there are shortcomings. They are perhaps not giving them as much as other women are getting that they may be looking at. And so there's a comparison. And so the shaitan comes in and... But I wanted this and I feel I need that and you're not giving me this. And the ingratitude issue comes into play. The lesson here for us is... Um, the sisters specifically do not be of these... Uh, these people and do not take the, these characteristics upon you, right? Or on if it happens, try to change your ways, right? Allah Azza wa Jal is forever there to accept your tawbah and to mend your affairs. And of course, for the husbands, make sure you are the ones who are good husbands that are fulfilling the rights of the woman. In another narration, Rasulullah 
it's narrated that he went over to the woman and preached to them and reminded them. And then he said, Give in charity, for you are the majority of the fuel of hell. A woman with dark cheeks stood up in the midst of the woman and said, Why is that, O Messenger of Allah? He said, Because you complain too much and are ungrateful to your husbands. Then they started to give their jewelry in charity, throwing their earrings and rings into Bilal's cloak. Okay? So look at this. Subhanallah. Look at the Sahabiyat. Look at these women. They did not stand up and petition, stand up and complain, stand up and say, how can, we say, how can you say this, O Prophet of Allah? How can you say it's the woman? How can you blame the woman? They didn't stand up for any of these things. This is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying these things. مَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَىٰ Allah Azza wa Jal says that he doesn't speak out of his own accord. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam doesn't speak from his, his hawa, his desires. Rather, it is wahi that's sent to him. This is, this is what Allah says about the words of the Prophet So we should take heed of this message. This is not to put the woman down. This is to remind our beloved sisters not to be of this type of woman. To be like the Sahabiyat who took a lesson from this and who decided then, then we are not going to be like those women. Right? Immediately they took their jewelry off, earrings off, for the sake of Allah, so that Allah saves them, so that Allah forgives them, so that Allah increases them in good and so forth. So our advice to the sisters is, be like these women. Accept and understand that this is what's going to happen. The Prophet has said so in authentic ahadith, many authentic ahadith, as you can see, we mentioned only three of them. But we, the sisters need to take a lesson and not be of these type of women. Give in charity, do as much good as you possibly can, and try your best to be grateful to Allah Azza wa Jal and to your husbands as best as you can. This does not mean that you allow abuse, that you allow um, your rights to be taken away and for the husband to um, you know, play games and say don't be ungrateful because the hadith said so. No, this is why it's very important that, that the sisters also learn their religion and they learn what their rights are and learn what the husband's rights are. Fulfill each other's rights and live according to the book of Allah and the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and you will find peace and you will find happiness in your marriages. And there is so much issues today because people are, are doing strange things that are contrary to the Quran and the sunnah. So understand what we are saying. We are not saying the woman should be oppressed, the woman should be trampled over. Stand up for your rights. Stand up. Know your rights. Study the deen. Study your rights. And... Fulfill your husband's rights and do not be of those who are ungrateful or I'm ungrateful. Allah Musta'an. Always ask Allah to make you grateful. This is for all men and women. Always ask Allah to make you of the grateful. A beautiful hadith from Mu'ayy ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa took his hand one day and he said, By Allah, I love you, O Mu'adh. And then he said, I give some instruction to you. Let me give you some advice. Never leave to recite the supplication after every salah. Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. And this is a hadith and a, and a dua that many of us know, alhamdulillah, an easy one to memorize. It means, oh Allah, help me in remembering you, to make dhikr of you. Wa shukrika, and in giving you thanks and gratitude, wa husni ibadatik, and worshipping you in the best possible manner. Um, it's a beautiful dua, a very powerful dua, and it's a dua that will help us 
You are asking Allah for help to make you of those who remembers Him, those who are grateful to Him, and those who worship Him in the best possible way. Right? This was the advice of the Prophet ﷺ to a beloved companion, Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu. So after every salah, make sure you recite this. Make sure you recite this. This is one of the ways that you, you know, you're asking Allah to make you of the, the grateful. Right? And that's a big topic. Gratitude is a topic on its own. Um, so we leave it at that bi idnillah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, وَإِنَّهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَشَهِيدٌ وَإِنَّهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَشَهِيدٌ Again, talking about the previous ayah, insan, they are ungrateful to their Lord. Now Allah says, and they will attest to this. They certainly are witness to this. So, firstly, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah explains that Qatada and Sufyan al-Thawri rahimahumallah said, indeed, Allah is a witness to that. That this ayah innahu, that who over there, which means he refers to Allah. That Allah is a witness over this. Right? Other scholars said that the pronoun he could be referring to insan themselves. That insan they are, they attest to this themselves, that they are ungrateful. They themselves know that they are, and they are a witness against themselves basically. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. And this was said by other scholars as mentioned by Ibn Kathir. Thus, its meaning would be that man is a witness to himself, to the fact that he's ungrateful. And that's according to this opinion that the, this pronoun refers to insan, man. This is obvious in his condition, meaning this is apparent from his statement and deeds. This is as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, مَا كَانَ لِلْمُشْرِكِينَ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ بِالْكُفْرِ It's not for the mushrikeen to maintain the masajid of Allah, while they witness disbelief against themselves. They know they are not upon Tawheed, upon, they are upon Shirk and so forth. It's not permissible for them to maintain the Masajid. They are witnesses against themselves. This is, you know, to prove that they can be witnesses against themselves. Ibn Uthaymin says what's correct is that the ayah includes both meanings. Both meanings are included. Yani Allah is a witness over what is in their hearts as well as over their actions. So that is definitely there. Inna ala dhalika la shahid can definitely refer to Allah, because Allah is a witness over everything. But it can also be a witness over themselves. Yani insan, it can refer to them as well. Although he says at times they may not realize it, and at times they may realize it, that they are upon, that they are ungrateful. At times we realize it, and at times we don't realize it. Right? However, on Qiyamah, they will be a witness against themselves. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَوْمَ تَشْهَدُ عَلَيْهِمْ أَلْسِنَتُهُمْ وَأَيْدِيهِمْ وَأَرْجُلُهُمْ بِمَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ In Surah Al-Nur, Allah says, On the day, يعني on that day, their tongues, hands and feet will testify against them for what they used to do. So whether they, whether they realize it or not, they are going to be a witness against themselves. In this world, some people will, those who realize, and in the Akhirah, everybody will realize it, that they were indeed ungrateful. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٌ And they are truly extreme, shadid, extreme, in the love of khair, in the love of khair, worldly gains. Right? Ibn Kathir says, indeed in his love of the good, khair, good, which is wealth. He is severe. Right? There are two opinions concerning this. One of that is that it means that he is severe. There are two uh, severe in his love of wealth. The one opinion is that he is severe in his love of wealth. And the other view is that it means he is covetous and stingy 
due to the love of wealth. However, both views are correct. Both views are correct. Okay? Both views tell us that he severely loves wealth. And because of that, he is also stingy and refuses to give and he withholds from others and so forth. Okay? So the word al-khayr, which usually means goodness, khayr means something good. In this context, it refers to mal. It refers to your wealth or people's wealth. And one of the evidences for this, as Ibn Uthaymin mentions, is found in another ayah where Allah says, كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذَا حَضَرَ أَحَدَكُمُ الْمَوْتُ إِنْ تَرَكَ خَيْرًا الْوَصِيَّةِ خَيْر See the word khayr is highlighted and also underlined. That word khayr, what does it mean in this context? Allah says, it is prescribed that when death approaches any of you, if they leave something of value, تَرَكَ خَيْرًا He leaves behind something good. Good here doesn't mean he leaves behind goodness. He leaves behind something of wealth, something of value. What must he do? Al-wasiyya, he has to leave behind a will. Right? This proves, just to prove that, the word khair means wealth as well, depending on the context. This context over here, khair here means wealth. And I think all of the Mufassirin are agreed on this. That the word khair here doesn't mean goodness. It doesn't mean that he loves to be to do good deeds. No. Allah is, 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 is saying this in a, in a, in a, in a sarcastic way. Indeed, they are truly, they, they love their goodness. What, what he means by goodness, yes, he love, they love their wealth. They love their wealth severely and extremely. Um, insan's love of wealth is something apparent. This is well known that all of insan, they love their wealth. In fact, Allah says in Surah Fajr, They love their wealth fervently, severely, strongly. They love their wealth. Ibn Uthaymin goes on and he says, there's no doubt that every person loves wealth, although they differ in the level of their love. Some are extreme as mentioned above, while others are. They only love the, the wealth to the bare minimum that they need. This is what we need, this is what we what we'll work for, what we, this is what we need, this is what we love, that's it. And you get different levels, you know, right up to those who are extreme, they worship their wealth. Nothing is more important to them than their wealth. And the true believer controls his wealth. His, his emotions, his, his actions, his belief, everything, he, that comes first. You know, this, this controls his wealth. It's not the other way around, that the wealth controls him. Right? So the believer should be one who is in control of his wealth. Based on doing right and wrong. Based on um, uh, spending in the right way. Spending on what's needed. Not wasting. Not investing in haram. Not, uh, uh, you know being a spendthrift, not no israf, and so forth. He's in control of his wealth. Nor does it lead to him becoming arrogant and haughty, right? No, he's in control of his wealth. And he remains humble. This is the way of the believer. Understand? So, having lots of wealth is nothing wrong. In fact, we say it's good that the Muslimin have lots of wealth. There should be certain Muslimin who are wealthy. So they can support Islam. They can support da'wah efforts. They can support those who are in need, amongst the Muslims especially. Understand? So it's something good that there are Muslimin who are wealthy. The Ummah needs this. So that they can spend on the Ummah and support the Ummah. This is how it should be. This is how it was in the time of the Sahaba. Right? Look at Uthman ibn Affan. Right? He sponsored a whole army. Wells of water and so forth. So many things. Because he was a wealthy man. Alhamdulillah. Um, so the believers should not aim to be poor at all times. Right? There's nothing wrong with being poor. But... There's also nothing wrong with being wealthy. At times we need 
wealthy people to invest into this deen and to support this deen and to support the da'wah efforts and so forth. And that's how da'wah spreads. You have ulama who come with knowledge, dua who come with knowledge, students and so forth who sp- spread the message and you have wealthy people who support them, who aid them, who give them some type of authority, some type of status, some type of outreach and so forth. And Allah Azza wa knows best. When Kathir then says, after this Allah encourages abstinence from worldly things and striving for the year after. And he informs of what the situation will be after this present condition and what man will face of horrors. So Allah spoke about insan, ungrateful. They will be witness against themselves and yet they, are, they, they love wealth too much. Right? Then Allah says, أَفَلَا يَعْلَمُ إِذَا do they not know that when the contents of the graves will be spilled out? How can it be that this is the state of insan? Ungrateful. Chasing the dunya. All about wealth and, and the, the worldly things. But yet, don't they realize what's going to happen when the contents of the graves will be spilled out? Meaning, the dead that are in it will be brought out. And we spoke about this in the previous surah. Right? We spoke about this in surah Zalzala. When the, the first trumpet will happen, what's going to happen? The earth will shake. The, the, the ultimate quaking will happen. And then, We spoke about this, when the earth will throw out its athqal, which means the dead will come out of the earth once again, and then people will say, malaha. And then the people will say, what is this? What's happening? Right? That we spoke about in Surah Zalzala, subhanAllah. So, yeah, Allah is again, Opening up the eyes of man. Leave of the dunya. Leave of chasing wealth. Leave of this ungratefulness. Don't you realize what's going to happen? Don't you see that day is going to come? The trumpet's going to be blown. The dead will be thrown out on the earth. It's going to spill out on the graves. Subhanallah. So worry about that day. Act for that day. Start preparing for that day. And stop chasing the dunya. This is similar to many other ayat. Right? Other ayat Allah says, فَتَوَلَّ عَنْهُمْ يَوْمَ يَدْعُ الدَّاعِ إِلَىٰ شَيْءٍ نُكُرٍ So turn away from your Prophet and wait for the day when the caller will summon them for something horrifying. خُشَّ عَنْ أَبَصَارُهُمْ With eyes that are humbled, downcast. يَخْرُجُونَ مِنَ الْأَجْدَاثِ They will come forth from the graves كَأَنَّهُمْ جَرَادٌ مُنْتَشِرٍ As if they were swarming locusts. This is what's going to happen. Similar ayah. Allah speaks about how they're going to come out of the graves. Prepare for this day. Stop worrying about the dunya. Subhanallah. Then Allah says, وَحُصِّلَ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ But what's also going to happen is, the secrets of the hearts will be laid bare. Open for all to see. The secrets of the hearts will be laid bare and open for all to see. Ibn Abbas and others have said, this means what was in their souls would be exposed and made apparent. Whatever was hidden and, and, and internal will come out and will be made apparent. Ibn Uthaymin explains and he says, that which was in the hearts of intentions, all the niyas, all the intentions will come out. And the actions of the hearts, like tawakkul, hope, fear, love, etc., all this will be laid bare, open, everything in the open. And so Allah makes what is in the heart the main pillar. This is what's the most important thing. As he says, يَوْمَ تُبَلَ السَّرَائِرِ On the day, all secrets will be disclosed. Similar ayah, telling us the same thing. On that day, all secrets will be disclosed and opened up. فَمَا لَهُ مِن قُوَّةٍ وَلَا نَاصِرٍ Then no one or then one will have neither power nor any helper. 
That day there's no helper, there's no power, Wallahu musta'an, except by Allah. The Shaykh says, in the dunya, people are dealt with based on what's apparent. Right? In the dunya, everything happens based on the apparent. We don't know the intentions of others. We don't know the, the ghayb. We don't know the unseen. We don't know what's happening. You know, only Allah knows the unseen. So everything in this dunya is dealt with apparent. We only judge on what's an apparent and that's how it works. Even the munafiqeen, they were judged by the, what, what they showed in, in the open. Right? Whereas in the akhirah, people will be dealt with depending on the state of their hearts. In the akhirah, it's what, what's in the heart that matters. Right? That's what, that, that is where true judgment will happen by Allah Azza wa Jal. Therefore, Ibn Uthaymin says, it is imperative that we pay close attention to the condition of our hearts before looking at our outward deeds. Ya Salam. Before we worry about our this deed and that deed, what's more important is we pay attention to our hearts. What's the state of our hearts? You know, what's our intentions? What do we truly intend? What are we seeking? You know, what's behind our actions? That's what we need to pay more attention to. That's more, you know, that requires more attention than just the deed itself. Action is driven by its intentions. And each person will only get what he intended. Right? And that's a topic, and really it's one of the most important things to think about and to reflect over. That are we people of Riyah? Are we people of Sum'ah? Are we showing off? Are we sincere or not? These are questions we should ask ourselves all the time. Subhanallah. And then the Sheikh says the link between these two ayat, right? Of the which what, what are the two ayat? The ayah where Allah says that Afala Yalamu Ida Buhsirama fil Kubur. Do they not realize what's going to happen when the um the graves will spill its contents out? And this ayah and the secrets will be laid bare. The secrets of the hearts will be laid bare. The Sheikh says there's a link here. Right? The contents of the graves will be spilled. So whatever was hidden in the earth will come out, will be open. And whatever was hidden in the chest, will, in the heart, will come out and be open. Right? Both of these things, the earthly things and that which is in the heart, both, this is the link between the ayat, both, everything will now come out into the open. On that day, everything is, is bad, is wound. It's open, it's clear, it's... it's, it's there's nothing hidden, nothing apparent, or nothing secret, sorry. Everything is now apparent and open. And, hakadha wallahu musta'an. Then Allah says, Inna rabbahum bihim yawma idhilla khabir. Surely the Lord is all aware of them on that day. Right? These are threats from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These last three four ayat are threats from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And again, this one is the same. The Lord on that day, khabir. La khabir. He's all aware of them. Nothing is hidden from him. Allah is the well-acquainted, the all-aware Al-Khabir. He knows every single thing. Nothing is hidden from him. Ibn Kathir says, he knows all of what they used to do. And he will compensate them for it with the most deserving reward. He does not do even the slightest amount of injustice. So, on that day, Allah is aware of every single thing. Whatever we did in the dunya, on that day, he, he will be well-aware, well-informed, and he will reward us appropriately. If it was good, Khairan fa khair, you will get good. And if it was evil, sharran fa shar. If it was evil, we will only get that which is evil. No injustice. Not the smallest amount of mithqala dharra. Nice as we explained. Not even the atom's weight of injustice, or even less than that, will come from Allah Azza wa Jal. So this is the ayah, this is the surah. A beautiful surah. A powerful surah once again. And this, the link between this surah and the pre- previous surah, 
where we spoke about the quaking of the earth, throwing out of the dead bodies, the people being in chaos, ma'alaha, what's happening. And then Allah spoke about how they will be led back in ranks to see their deeds, right? Um, and whoever did the smallest amount of de- good will see it, the smallest amount of evil will see it, and so forth. That ayah was, you know, a, 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 a scary ayah, a surah, the surah Zanzala. This surah is slightly different, but also similar, in that Allah speaks about the, the horses, and He builds up the, the scene, and it, it's very intense. And then all of a sudden Allah drops the, uh, you know, He drops the, the, the bomb, and He says, but insan, ungrateful. Insan will be witness against themselves. Insan is only after wealth. He loves wealth too much. He's, he's, he's only looking for wealth, chasing the dunya. And then Allah threatens us and He says, don't they realize what's going to happen when the graves, uh, when the earth will spill its contents out of the graves. You know, the dead bodies will be spilled out. And the secrets will be laid bare. And um, Allah is well aware of what they do. You know, in a nutshell, that's what Allah is telling us in the surah. But it's because of this nature of insan that uh, zalzala will happen, that quaking and all those things will happen. And all of these things will happen is because of the ingratitude of insan. So subhanAllah, Allah teaches us a powerful lesson here that we should be weary and be aware and wake up and not be of people who are in ghafla, you know, going on heedlessly, negligently, not paying attention, not bothering to change, not bothering to become better, just continuing with our ways and so forth, subhanAllah. So, um, this is the surah, and we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to grant us the understanding, to make us of those who are grateful, right? To make us of those who are grateful. And Allah says, وَقَلِيلٌ مِنْ عِبَادِيَ شكور. Few of my slaves are grateful. Few of them. So we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to make us of the few, to make us of the few grateful ones. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen and to protect us on the day of Qiyamah when all of these terrifying things will happen to keep us safe on that day to place us under his shade under which there will be no shade except his shade um, and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh